Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Lawcast. I'm Chris Deason-Tan, and this is Melanie Thule. We are both solicitors here at MJT Law, and we're here for another week, we are. another podcast. Um, and this week, uh, we've been a bit of a bit of a, quite a, a focus mm. in the legislation mm. on uh, on the kind of employment sphere. We've we've got a job summit. We that, have that's going on. That that has happened. It has now happened. It's happened. It's two day. It's a festival. It's in the past, yes. Um, yeah, two days last week, they brought a whole pile of people, 160-odd people yep. together, industry experts. Absolute who's to, who of, yeah. of industry. Everybody, everybody, everybody wanted a seat at the table, which I find fascinating because you can't possibly have lots of asses on I would have seat. loved to see. So so the, the people that the people who were there were everything from... Uh, Australian of the Year. Australian of the Year. There's uh, CEOs. I know Alan Joyce was there. Yeah. Uh, Twiggy Forrester was there. Yeah. Um, uh, about 50 politicians, both state and That's right. federal. That's <laughs> um, And about 40 uh, unionists and, and, then, and then about 30 lobbyists. That's right. That's right. And there was groups. a couple of uh, crossbench, backbench type seats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and, and I'd love to have seen how logistically that works because... <laughs> I'm not sitting next to him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you've got 150 people and none of those people like, are going to be in the... In so... the <laughs> well, no one wants to be in the in the, uh, in the bleachers. I mean, I can't imagine no Alan Joyce wants to be in, in the bleachers, no. you know, in a seminar room or something. That's right. He's got the best suit on. Well, everyone wants to be in the front. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how logistically it worked. No, it would have been hilarious. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been like to have been the person who arranged the seating. No. And I no. wonder, I do wonder though, um, if there was a conversation with any of these parties about, oh, you, sorry, Alan, you're sitting next to, you know, blah. And an email quickly came back. And said, are you kidding? No. Absolutely would have happened because that's what <laughs> life's about. But the whole idea of it, uh, we know that employment, um, it, it was somewhat of an election issue, but, but it didn't really, I don't think, swayed very many votes. Um, and this is more so kind of playing out now that, yeah. that we have a new I, I think you're government. right, because it was such... The, the, problem, the problem with the election promises mm. or the election issues is that both sides had them and they're almost exactly the same. We want to make changes. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if, if there is one thing that was consensus... Uh, I certainly think around all 150 people there is that there probably is a change needed. Everybody wants change. Everyone wants change. No one feels as though this current system's working for them. Yes. Um, in a way that makes sense. Yes. Um, so obviously, you know, something needs to change. What that change looks like, though, is is really what's up for debate. I, I really like this kind of rhetoric about collective bargaining and enterprise bargaining doesn't work. And I'm... Uh, and there was this language going around saying it was going to be synthetic, um, synthetic striding. Yes. And there was this kind of language change or, or um, what do you, you know, HR has moved to people and culture. You know, there's been this kind of, yeah, this, this change from, you know, sympathetic striking to collaborative industrial Collaborative, which, which <laughs> for everyone, I suppose for, uh, for our listeners out there, at the moment, uh, to have... Uh, collaborative industrial well, well, to have a protected industrial action which uh is just legal sense for a strike yeah a, a lawful strike yes. because you can certainly have unlawful ones That's where right. you might all get protected fired for industrial it. action it was it was a rebrand from lawful striking yeah and um uh you can only really do it if it if it's in relation to to those your people, your, your employees you can strike about something that's happening to you yeah essentially and 
so now the the suggestion about having a collective bargaining where you've got multiple employers yes and multiple um, involved in the industries same as well such that i mean theoretically there's an infinite amount and let's say there's 10 employers in, in involved where all of those employees might be able to strike and one of the strike about somebody else's issue yeah and one of the, the yes. kind of reasons collaborative that, industrial yeah. action one of the reasons uh <laughs> they moved away from there from what i understand was as an employer you find yourself potentially facing industrial action where it, that's something you you couldn't it, have, you didn't really have control over yeah you didn't that guy is not your employee what no, the hell you didn't you didn't lead to that situation anyway i did read that there was a uh, professor of industrial action mm. um kind of area having a, a having a bit of a, a chat to somebody in one of these newspapers in the um you know not in the news section but in one of those interest sections yep. and he was of the view that enterprise bargaining doesn't work well i'm pretty sure everyone's on board on that but he said you know collective bargaining works absolutely and, and if you just have to look at the countries where collective bargaining works and i was looking at these countries thinking it doesn't work. One of the mm. countries he mentioned was France, and we know that there was a strike mm. in France with the truck drivers yep. for literally months. The country almost went into <laughs> it. almost crippled them. I mean, yes, he said, oh, places like England and America where they don't have it, the IR system just doesn't work. Um, and I think comparisons to entirely different countries, entirely different cultural kind of setups is just too simplistic. And yeah. I think that he probably maybe wasn't asked the right questions or he was edited in a particular way because I can't, I cannot imagine that a professor in IR mm. law would have just said, said something as broad brush stroke as, oh, it works in this country, so it'll work in ours. No, yeah. Crazy. But that's not just the only thing. Yes, no, 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 no. So, Moving away from collaborative industrial yeah, activity. Um, so um, we've got. Obviously, we need change, and they've, they've put some kind of yes, very broad. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was particularly interested in our in workplace relations minister, federal workplace relations minister Tony Burke, who said the government is going to make immediate action on these things. Mm -hmm. So I brought them in today so we can have a chat about them. There are two, four, six, there are eight points and hopefully we'll it. get through them today. But the first one is stronger access for flexible working arrangements and unpaid parental leave. And what does that even mean? So what are we thinking about access? Um, so we're we, thinking about eligibility. We are. And we're also, yeah, we're thinking about, so when we're talking about parental leave, we're not talking about um, maternity leave. No, no, we're talking about so, parents. So those who are watching out there, mm -hmm. Australia had shifted away from the language of parental, um, from um, Mater maternal, maternity leave or maternity leave, maternal leave, a really long time ago, yeah. way, way back. It's You're a, one of the one of the first countries to do it. Actually. Well, really, and in fact, it's a really a discriminatory term. Yes, mum is actually giving birth to the baby, but there's a you know it takes a village. So yeah. parental leave is about the both parents taking leave um, that makes sense. And yeah. parental leave at the moment is all about the primary caregiver, and that doesn't have to be mum. No. It can be dad, and they can take turns on that. No, and there is still uh, you know scope for for um the mother to to take personal leave as well yeah to, to actually recover from the medical side of it as well i saw a little bit about this at the moment parental leave you if you've worked for an employer for more than a year and you're a permanent employer you are mm. eligible um, broad brushstroke mm. here but you're eligible to take unpaid parental leave for up to 18 weeks <laughs> they're looking at extending that to half a year mm. Mm. 
I've got real problems with that because as a small business, if I've got someone on parental leave, I might be able to cover them for 18 weeks. Mm. I'm not going to be able to cover them for 26. And who wants to take their job? Mm. I, it takes mm. me a couple how, of, how are you going to fill it? That's right. It takes me a couple of months to train somebody for that job. And then they're only going to be there four months. I just... It's an incredibly expensive process yeah, for me. Yeah, and, and what well, you can imagine most... You know, most businesses, if they can, they're probably going to end up carrying capacity. Yes. In order to... And what that causes there is a bunch of small businesses making these parents redundant. Mm. Because mm. after 26 weeks of covering their job, you realise you don't need it anymore. Yeah. And that's genuine. Yeah. It's a and genuine it happens, problem. It happens often. Um, and it's nothing particular. And it's a cost thing. I can't, I'm not going to be able to afford to train someone for two months for a job of somebody who's already trained just for that person to leave four months yeah. later. And that's just too expensive for me. Yeah. So it is better for me to find the gaps and cover the position. Yeah. And then what happens then is five months later, I look at it and go, well, what do I need it for? Yeah. So it, it is actually a real problem. I'm not saying that parents mm. shouldn't take parental leave but extending the leave i don't know it's going to cause a problem I, I i don't know that's what they're talking mm. about but in this one it's flexible working arrangements and unpaid parental leave so for flexible work arrangements my my hot take on on it is if we're thinking about eligibility um is to move it from uh i apologize for getting this wrong but from one year to six months, for example. Yeah, maybe. To, or potentially maybe. immediately. Yeah, yeah. Horrifying. Horrifying. So being able to make your flexible working arrangement request, uh, you know, potentially. It, straight away. Le instead less of, time instead of having been there for a year. Yeah, I agree. Also, I wonder whether they're going to buff up the flexible working arrangement requests. You know, every now and again, I get a female that calls me who is a new parent who's mm -hmm. taken the leave and has decided they don't want to go back for the full hours with which they had worked. And the rule is the job is open. Yeah. And if you don't want that job, then there's a discussion with your employer. Now, that employer might accommodate, but eventually that employer might not accommodate. Mm. And the question I have from these um, parents is, but hang on, don't I have a right to get my job back? The trouble is they didn't want that job. They mm. wanted a different job. And I'm wondering whether there's going to be more forcing of employers to say yes to these requests yeah. um, which I think is inappropriate as well of course we don't know we're all talking about something here that the minister hasn't mm. actually popped on the table that I'm aware of but yeah there's, there's lots of things going on there and I'm I'm worried as a small business I think it's brilliant if you're a parent mm. absolutely brilliant you've got probably more control than you'll ever have but I'm just wondering if there's workarounds talking about this to my husband mm. um, and I'm going to be very controversial mm. here I think for a small business it might be cheaper to fire that employee cop the uh, penalty than it is to retrain and take the time out of my because I've got to take two months out of my normal work mm. to retrain then I've got them for another four months it actually Operationally, it's cheaper for me to fire that employee, unfit as myself, pay them out, and move well, on. Well, I mean, it is also part it's of it is, it is also part of their their considerations is potentially increasing the penalties, and it's <sighs> maybe how many provisions of the Fair Work Act it applies to. Well, it's a double-edged so, sword, isn't it? You know, they, they, they they're they probably addressing that 
that it, potential as well. Yeah, that's true. But that's that's a real gun in your face. You know, it's a real shotgun wedding. Oh, yes. Because yes, yes. now you're asking employers to take on so much risk. Mm. And then there might be a favoritism of those who aren't at childbearing years. I mean, there's always a cause and effect with all you of You know, that. you look at that and go, well, if you're going to make it harder for me to make decisions about my business, yeah. I'm just going to make decisions that suit me. Yeah, you're going to have to, to take steps in your own hands. Yeah, it's really, I'm, I'm interested to see how this is going to play out in practicality. Uh, look, I, I think it's a bit of a mud throwing at a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, mm. The Fair Work Act feels like a little bit like that in 10 you know, what are we, 2009 to 12 years later, 13 years later, we're probably going, oh, needs to be amended. I, I can, it doesn't work. I can see why there, why there is some kind of willingness to change the flexible work and management provisions in light of COVID. Um, I don't particularly think it needs to be changed, but I can see that it's at least being applied more. Yeah, there's a lot um, of readers out you might there. Want I can see the, the reason why we might want to have a look at it, whether we need to actually change is, is another question. But I, I can't imagine when they first drafted it, they'd realised that, you know, there was a period of time where, where there was on flex, yeah. formal ones or informal ones. Or technology moves on. And in, in, in this practice, it's it's almost impossible for someone to work remotely and still be as collaborative as they yeah. are in the office. Um, and we know this because mm. we've done it many, many times now in the mm. last three years. But you can see if you've got a job that you don't really basically talk to your boss anyway. There is no collaborative. You just head down, bum up, do your job, go home. Mm. That you could do that at home. I just, I just wonder why you want to do that at home. Is it's it, very isolating. That's well, certainly the, what I got out of it. Well, let's say you're at home. Are you, are, you, are you preferring to be at home because you've got kids that you want to keep an eye on? And if mm. that's the case, you're not doing your job. Is it you want to be at home because you want to be home at three o'clock on the dot and your job finishes at four, you know, 2.50 p.m. and you don't want the travel? I want to know why people want to work from home. Mm. Well, I mean, if, if for, for everyone out there. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I know that a lot for a lot of people, um, if you've got an hour commute, taking an hour each way out of your, out of your day. That's very um, true. And there's an expense. But does that mean they'll be willing to have a pay cut? because they no longer have the expense of having to come into the office. They don't have to figure out how to get their lunch. They don't have to figure out how to get the travel. It's actually cheaper working from home for them. Well, I doubt it, but... <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I think we should start looking at the bigger picture here and not just, oh, it's flexible because it can be, mm. but what are the benefits really? Are you, why are you wanting to work from home? Is it you don't like your hour commute anymore when you moved an hour away from home, from work? Mm. You know, it's just... I mean, there's obviously benefits both ways, like... I actually haven't seen this being put out there as a benefit, but I actually think it is, is if you're a business and it's very difficult to maintain, uh, if you've got a big enough workforce to maintain a good culture yeah. in an office, if you have some people that are working from home, it's a lot easier because you don't need to worry. We don't worry about them being. They don't talk to each other. To each other. So, <laughs> they don't talk to each other. They don't hang around each other. Yeah. So, look. You know. Yeah, I don't mind too much. It's a it's a very interesting point you make, but I I just don't know how this is going to play. Anyway, but so what's next? Stronger protections against adverse action, harassment, and discrimination. And I took this as stronger protections for employers against. No. Rogue employees starting actions that are stupid, but you take this as in more protections for the employee. Yeah, see, I well, just just being pragmatic in the in the in in the way the kind of law is moving, um, I suspect it's to 
potentially broaden the application of those those actions. I'm not sure how that because all of those particular <coughs> applications that one can bring are actually quite broad already. I would like um, to be in the room when this was argued because <laughs> if if you and I were sitting there as an employee, as an employer, I sit there and I hear every day from employers, employees have all the rights here. They've got mm. all the power. They can just start an action without having any kind of decent basis to it and they can put me through a really expensive process for no reason. And that's what I hear every day. Mm. I hear every day from employees my employer has all the power. I don't, you know, they can just fire me for no reason. I, there's no recourse. Now both are true, mm. actually, mm. and that's the problem. But I'd be like to be in the room with all these industry experts, Absolutely. having that argument. I, I'm of the view that much of the problems and, and the issues you've raised there can be addressed <laughs> by making it a cost jurisdiction. I, I, I understand why they put it in the first place but i think the fact is it's playing out in a way that or at least lower the bar for the no cost part yeah you yeah. know maybe, maybe not make it yeah maybe not make it a cost jurisdiction but actually lower that bar mm, because yeah. in doing so you'll you'll will inevitably reduce the amount of applications going through i would like to see the bar lowered for legal advocates as well to be charged for for costs on these points mm. because there's an awful lot of organizations out there who are quite happy to rack up an employee to get fees and they don't have to act in the best interest of that employee because no. they're a non-legal advocate yeah. so i'd like to see more protections around that as well um okay ensuring all workers i like this one ensuring mm. all workers can negotiate in good faith including women small business care and community service sectors and first nations people not all those people are workers not all no, those entities no. are workers. Either <laughs> this is poorly drafted or that's not what was actually said. So ensuring all workers negotiate in good faith. I don't even know what that means. I mean, what are we talking about here? I think I think it's it's one which is is a broad consideration for the benefits of collective bargaining. <laughs> I see what you um, the government of industrial action. Well the idea that <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the various representatives in those types of um, negotiations will be yeah, okay. technically representing. Okay, so this is, this, this is a this is a pleasant rewording, long-winded way of saying um, collective bargaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, okay. I mean, when you think about it in the advert, in the whereas I hear in the inverse industrial being, action. If you, if you, the opposite to collective bargaining <laughs> is is uh, free will contract. Yeah. Um, and I like it. I mean, and, and there's some views out there that free, <laughs> free will contracts are not good for those. Yes, yes, okay, I get it, I get it. Okay, so the next one: ensuring all workers and businesses have flexible options for reaching agreement, including removing unnecessary limitations on single and multi-employer agreements, while ensuring that employers which negotiate single employer agreements are able to do so without those changes interfere. Look, whatever. I, I think you're just, just it's more about collective bargaining there. Making the better off overall test. Um, for agreement, this is for collective bargaining and enterprise yep. agreements, approval, simple, fair, flexible and fair. Now, I think that's talking about removing some of the other sections. Like, in the, at, at the moment, um, better off overall is a better off overall. So you can mm, give someone... Terms and conditions. Yeah, you can give someone something like, oh, you can, you know, have casual Friday instead of... Flexible working arrangement is kind of a good one, whereas if you were to integrate that into the actual agreement, you might... For example, be able to reduce the wages yeah. on the basis that you're incurring those costs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Expenses, I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I'm be interested to see how that pays off because 
what that does in my view is it strengthens the monetary argument for the employees and it weakens the employer's chance of giving non-monetary remedies. Mm. Um, but we don't know what that means just yet. No, so I'm not don't. going to get on a bit of a soapbox. Yeah, I've got I mean, enough soapboxes today. If they were to do it, one of the negative kind of implications of that is from the employer's standpoint, the conditions of it. As an employee, you're far less likely to get kind of favourable conditions, mm. I don't imagine, because everything is about a cost. You know, if they're going to think about wages globally, mm. but how much does it cost to have that person in that seat, um, which includes conditions, Yeah. Um, then if you can only, if we have to, you know, if they have to do a certain percentage to get the, the agreement over the line for, uh, for pay, then... You know, this other stuff's going to fall away because we can't afford it. We have to put it onto wages. And maybe that's what the people, the uh, workers want, but maybe it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, giving the Fair Work Commission power to proactively help workers, particularly new entrants and small to medium businesses. Are we talking about a new kind of group inside the Fair Work Commission, a new kind of space there where we're getting mentorship and things like that? It's just, it's just a weird one. I, but this is this is something this is immediate action. He's mm. immediately acting this out. Giving the Fair Work Commission power to proactively help workers, particularly new entrants and small to medium businesses. Uh, for a start, a small to medium business is not a worker again. I think the language is a bit weird, but it's a bit sloppy, but sure. <laughs> yeah, look, I think they're talking about a department inside a department, I guess. I think it's going further than um you know, already there are a lot of kind of information out there that is published by various government entities to help businesses without the need for, for lawyers. But this sounds a little bit more in becoming involved on an on almost case-by-case -case basis, not, yeah. just, not just putting a, a really good handbook out there or something like That's that. That's right. And, and we're going to have to look at the funding on this point. Yeah, because that, that sounds awfully expensive. It really does. <laughs> so the next one is ensure the process for agreement termination is fit for purpose and fair. Again, we're talking about enterprise bargaining. Mm. Again, we're talking about collective bargaining. Um, it's fit for purpose and fair. Process of termination of these agreements. And that's a really interesting one because all it takes is one person to put their hand up and say we want to terminate this agreement and the employer is now in uh, a bargaining stage, which mm. is kind of interesting. Um just before we step into that one, the second one I think mm. we can talk about both at the same yeah. time. And this is sunset zombie agreements. Stop employers underpaying people with old agreements stuck in underwork choices. Now, obviously, that's a very negative language. Mm. So what they're talking about, agreements that are in place that haven't been meant, um, altered, they are proper zombies. They're, and they are actually more of these out there than, than people realise. <laughs> like, Essentially, what, what, what happens is an agreement might have a nominal date. That's right. Expired, but it, it continues until it is removed. And it is removed by application to the Fair Work Commission. That's right. And, and if so, it never happens, it never happens. If it never happens, they either never negotiate it or and more frequently is, is that, that, that particular agreement was quite niche. 
and there's no longer anyone under that agreement. That's right. It just get or it just gets set, set aside, and nobody remembers that it exists anymore. And it just, just it just exists without anybody using it, which is unlawful as well. Mm. So it's kind of really interesting. So they're talking about um, the process of termination mm. of, these, of of agreements, and that's a lengthy really time-consuming process to yep. remove an agreement um, and sunset dates for zombie agreements maybe this can be wrapped up in one thing your agreement terminates on this day that's it you know we have <laughs> fixed term agreements uh, I'm I know that we don't and I wasn't in the room when the conversation happened that we don't mm. but I do wonder why we don't maybe it's more expensive for the employer to have to but the reversion is back to the um, back to the uh, awards, right? So, so are you thinking about a situation where it, it it terminates on this day? It's and then everyone goes back to to the award as, as it might be, um, and then it's up to the parties again to kind of yeah. decide where they want to yeah, re-engage and, in, and in, maybe have an application process to extend the expiry date while the um, while they negotiate while the negotiations are going on. So instead of ha is, so putting time frames that's in place, right putting, you know, set, instead of putting the cart before the horse where it just goes on and on forever until it's terminated it terminates and you have to make applications to keep mm. it running I, I wonder if that's a better process mm. but I, I don't know what's on the table I I, um, I think there's a, there's actually a lot of merit to that because one of the, the key criticisms of the way that we do enterprising uh, bargaining at the moment for, is that for just, those who don't know enterprise bargaining can take up to a year and a yeah. half and it's incredibly expensive and incredibly time frame, time consuming, and also very polarizing. Yeah. While the parties are in these, bar they call it bargaining, but really it's just massive, aggressive negotiations. Yeah. And but you're in aggressive negotiations with your own employees for yeah. a year and a half. And it feels that's how we end up, I think, with a them and them and uh, them, them, and us. them and us situation. Yeah, kind of situation. But I can see that if you had those those dates in place, especially if they were strict. I think if it's one, if you were to do it, you'd make them quite strict. Mm. Um, where you have a situation where at least it will be, it will motivate people to get it done quicker. Mm. Because we know that when time, when push comes to shove, when time is of the essence. People get moving. Those agreements can be done. They can in, be. in a matter of weeks. I think. Um, look, to be honest, it's in the um, it's in the interest of the um, advocacy groups to to lengthen it out, and it's in the interest yeah. of the employee to keep it short. So I don't know how they're going to get a happy mm. medium there. But that's it. That's on the table. Uh, the Honourable Tony Burke is going to be putting uh, immediate action to these these eight points. Mm -hmm. Fascinated to see how that plays out. And uh, well, we've got we've got a budget in in October. Yes. I suspect there'll be some of that in there, especially for example around uh, a new entity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I'm I'm expecting a new bill probably in the new year. Brilliant for us. If you need any employment advice, we're basically on top of it, yeah, as, as on top of as anybody else's, and uh, we'll keep it running forward. Yeah. See you thank, next time. Thanks for watching. See you next time for in the lawcast. See ya. Bye.